Glad that you can join us tonight. Father, we ask that as we finish this book of Hosea, we're grateful that we can study God's word. And as we study your word again, as we see a heartbroken father to um, a nation that he sees as, uh, as one that is his, his child, um, you know, and has committed, though, uh, spiritual adultery and played the harlot and going after other idols. And so, Lord, we know that your love is confirmed um, and your love is uh, once again uh, expressed. But, Lord, we also know um, that um, as, as anyone involved in sin that belongs to you, it breaks your heart. We learn something here. We learn how we hurt the heart of God when we go after other things other than him. Any idols set up in our lives or sin or carnality. So, Lord, I pray that we would be blessed and encouraged once again as we study this. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So keep in mind, Hosea, as most of you know, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, going through this uh, book of Hosea, Hosea the prophet, uh, that he is told by God to take a wife, Gomer, of uh, harlotry. And they had a child together, as we look at chapter 1. But then she would go back to being a harlot, being a prostitute. Keep in mind at this time that, that the house of Israel, that's mostly who Hosea is ministering to. Outwardly, they were uh, doing well economically. Uh, they were strong militarily. The Assyrians at this short time had declined in power, but soon would <clears throat> raise up to power to where they would come and take the ten northern um, tribes of the house of Israel away into captivity. But during this time, externally things looked good, but they were involved in idol worship. We've looked at the condition of the nation going through these chapters, the indictment of the Lord against them, violence and immorality, and we're going to see dishonest gain, ripping people off and doing business. But we know that uh, there was the idol worship that would include prostitution, and perhaps Gomer was one of those temple prostitutes that was being used, but she literally, physically committed adultery, was a harlot, and so it was Hosea, as she had, chapter 1, two children of harlotry. He would go and buy her back out of, uh, you know, 15 pieces of silver, which is the half the price of a slave, and, and bring her back. But Hosea was allowed to feel what was going on in the heart of God as he saw a nation that was committing spiritual adultery, if you would. The plain harlot had other lovers, those idols, and so Hosea, even though he's given a difficult message here that judgment was going to come, he's expressing the heart of the Father, and Hosea would feel what was going on in the heart of God as well as he was heartbroken because of what they have done. So uh, it's really important for us to, to know that when the Lord speaks of judgment, whether it is when we talk about prophecy in the end times, that the heart of God is that none should perish, but all come to repentance. Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, as we talked about, as he said that your house is now left to you desolate. He's weeping. He's not saying, ha, oh, you're going to get it, you know, for what you did to me. But he, the Father desires for us to come to him. 
And he loves us freely, as we're going to see. So let's begin to look at chapter 12. As Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind, he daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. So the east wind would come from the deserts of the east and would be hot and barren and dry. And that's what the, the northern kingdom was feeding on with their idol worship. So spiritually, it's dry, it's barren. You can't, you can't grasp the wind, what was going on. I've been in Israel when that dry winds, uh, it's kind of like the Santa Ana's we hear in California that'll be coming up in October and November, that over that high pressure over the desert in Nevada swings that wind in from the east and, and it's very hot and dry, very dangerous, especially right now going through drought and the fire conditions. But you get a similar thing as you have the deserts there in Jordan and in, in Syria, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, and that high pressure begins to bring in the, the winds that are barren and hot. And they look to the Assyrians, as we've discussed, to help them against the Egyptians. They would look to the Egyptians to help them against the Assyrians, but they weren't looking to the Lord. And the Lord was saying, I want to be your help. I'm the one that brought you into the land. I'm the one that has blessed you in the land. And I'm the one that's going to keep you in the land. And sometimes we will turn to so many other things rather than turning to the Lord and to his word to help us in the difficulties and challenges that we face in life. And the Lord is saying, I want to be your help. I want to be your protector. I want to be your stability, your strength. I, I want to be everything that you need. And, and there's nothing wrong in going to godly counsel. And, but our godly counsel should be the Lord is the one that is your help. We can help one another in practical ways. That's what the body of Christ is all about, to encourage each other and lift each other up and help each other. But ultimately, the Lord is our help, and he's the one that desires to help us in our circumstances in life. And so we continue here in verse 2. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah. So there's some words that Hosea has been speaking against Judah as well. And will punish Jacob according to his deeds. He will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. And in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. And he wept and sought favor from him. And he found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. Interesting. God speaking to Judah and their son uses Jacob as an illustration. Now Jacob, he, in the book of Genesis, of course, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Esau was firstborn, and then Jacob, who his name means heel snatcher, was holding on to the heel of, of Esau, and he was born second. Uh, but we know the story of Jacob, heel snatcher, deceiver is what his name uh, means. And he was very, uh, very much a, a guy that was resourceful, always coming up with a plan. Uh, it's interesting to study the, like, uh, the life of Jacob. He would uh, get the birthright from Esau by making him a pot of stew. Esau was very carnal. He was a hunter. And we know that Jacob also would deceive him in receiving the blessing. So Jacob, he takes off, he goes to Pandanaran because his brother wants to kill him as you go through those chapters of Genesis. And we see that he'd eventually, after about 20 years, would come back 
And he finds himself as he hears his brother Esau is angry at him, wants to kill him. And in Genesis chapter 32, there is Jacob. He's at the brook Jabbok. He's all alone. He sent his family, split him in half, and sent him off. He can't go backwards because Uncle Laban said, if you come back, I'm going to kill you. He can't go forward because if Esau had 400 men, he thought, you know, what am I going to do? All of a sudden, this individual who is so resourceful, always had a plan, you know, he's the kind of guy that any business firm would love to have, you know, uh, because he was so resourceful. All of a sudden, he's out of options. And the Lord sneaks up on him, as it says here, uh, as we read, that he uh, uh, took his brother by the heel in the womb. And in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. Now, as we read that, the Lord comes and wrestles with Jacob all night and then touches the, the, his hip that came out of socket. And it was the Lord that said, what is your name? And, and, and here is Jacob. He says, I won't let you go till you bless me. What is your name? Jacob, heel snatcher, deceiver. Now your name's going to be called Israel, governed by God. And it's such an incredible story with so many lessons that are there. And in Jacob's brokenness and in his wrestling, the Lord was doing a work in him. And the Lord wanted to do that work in this nation. He wants to do work in us because sometimes we can be so self-reliant. We can be so resourceful. We always got a plan. I always got to come up with this idea rather than seeking the Lord. And rather than say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I want to be dependent on you, not my own intelligence, my, my own might, my own togetherness. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And through those times where the Lord will allow that brokenness, where we're wrestling with him, we don't have any options. We will all come to a point in our lives that's like, I don't have a plan, Lord. I don't know how to get through this. And in the wrestling, the Lord wants to bring us to a place of Israel. We're governed by him. And as we look at this, he's making that reference that, that he, he was hanging on to the Lord with tears, it says. He wept and sought favor from him. Don't pick up Jacob, you know, just kind of, you know, bear hug or, you know, got the Lord in a, in a headlock saying, I won't let you go till you bless me. He, he's hanging on to the Lord with tears saying, I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to come up with a plan. I'm tired of trying to, to figure everything out. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, because I'm broken right now, and I'm hurting. And as we consider that, the Lord, he wants us to come to that place in our brokenness and in our pain to allow him to touch us. As his hip came out of socket, it says that he had to use a staff, a stick, to, to walk. He walked with a limp, and his walk was never the same. And the Lord wants us to lean on him like Jacob had to lean on that, that cane, that stick, that, that rod to help him walk as we walk with him. And he desires for us to look to him. He desires for us to be governed by him. 
And as we come to him, he desires to do that touch in our lives. And then it says that he went to Bethel here, as we just read. He found him in Bethel. Bethel was that place, Jacob, that when Esau wanted to kill him, Jacob had deceived uh, his dad in receiving Isaac, the, the blessing. When Esau found out he, he was going to kill Jacob, Jacob flees. He comes to that place where he pulls up a rock for a pillow, and he has a, a dream of angels ascending and descending on this ladder between earth and heaven. And Jacob woke up and he says that God was here and I did not know it. And the Lord reaffirmed the covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, this is all yours. And I'll make you a great nation, Jacob. And Jacob would have his 12 sons when he went to Pandanaran that were the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. But he called that place Bethel, which is the house of God. He's in Pandanaran for 20 years. Interesting as he worked uh, herding sheep for Leah and for Rachel as well. And then he would come back, he wrestles with the Lord, and then after that he goes back to Bethel, to that place, the house of God, to that place where the Lord spoke to him. And what I hope and pray for you is that you have a Bethel. We all need a Bethel that we go back and, Lord, this is where you touch me, this is where you speak to me, a quiet place, a place where we hear from the Lord. But what had happened is Bethel had become a place of idol worship. And so as we apply it to the nation, the nation needed to come to a place of brokenness to turn back to the Lord and come back and worship him. And, and we need to have that place. Have a Bethel, you know, a, a quiet place in your house, uh, a place where you can have devotions, a place where you can seek the Lord and hear from the Lord. And, and I think we all need that in our lives. And that's what Jacob did. He went back to Bethel. So you, verse 6, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. By the help of your God, it tells us how weak we really are in our total need for the Lord. And true repentance will show a commitment to mercy and justice and a dependence upon the Lord. I want to be dependent on the Lord. Maybe as we get older, we realize, I'll speak for myself. Yes, we grow in wisdom. And yes, we learn a lot of things as we go through life. But I also realize that I'm not, you know, so smart and so resourceful and so powerful and so wonderful that, that I can just rely on my own wisdom. I realize I need the Lord, and I realize that more and more. Lord, I need your strength right now. I need your wisdom more than ever, because if I just rely on myself, um, I'm just going to be weak, and I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be, you know, uh, tossed to and fro. I want to be established in you, Lord, how important that is for us. And as we read in verse 7, a cunning Canaanite, deceitful scales are in his hand. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, Surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They shall find in me no iniquity that is sin. And so through their deception and greed and sin, they made a profit. They boasted about it, yet they had rationalized in their mind that they did nothing wrong. And we know that the law has spoken, Proverbs you can check it out, 11, Proverbs 16, chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 20, Amos chapter 8, uh, that we'll be going into the book of Amos before too long. It talks all about dishonest gain. They, they rigged the scales. They were dishonest in their dealings with people, and yet they thought it was okay. 
I pray for us that, that, that for us, we wouldn't think that, you know, we can, you know, just be dishonest, that we can fool people, that we can, you know, do those things, and the Lord doesn't care. We might think that, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm getting ahead. A little lie here, a little dishonest gain here. Uh, it's beneficial. It's helping me, whether you got a business or if you're dealing with other people. And because you benefit from it, that you think that the Lord doesn't care. He does care. He sees all of this going on. And he's brokenhearted over it. That we would be honest and be men and women of our word and desiring to, to bless others and to serve others and to be beneficial to others in all our dealings with other people, whether we're in business or just helping or whatever the case may be. But I am your Lord, your God, verse 9 says, ever since the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. As we look at this, God would not overlook their sin, their blatant disobedience. He will not overlook our disobedience and sin. He is long-suffering, he is patient, but he's not going to overlook it. Now, for you and I as a believer, he will chasten us. And Hebrews talks about that. He'll chasten us as a father because he loves us. He's motivated for his love. And, and for those who refuse to turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior and confess their sins and their need for the atoning work of the cross, he's patient, he's long-suffering. He'll, he he uh, will eventually, if they come to the end of their life, that they will face punishment and eternal judgment because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. We cannot mistake the long-suffering and patience of our Lord that he, he doesn't care or it doesn't matter. And that's a mistake that some can make. I'm getting away with it. I'm being dishonest. I'll go live my own life. I don't need the Lord, you know, maybe later in my life. That's a deception, by the way, of the enemy, that you don't need to come to Christ today that you don't need to give your life to him and repent from your sins today, you can wait. That is a huge deception of the Lord. There's no hurry uh, of the enemy, Satan, towards the Lord, that you don't need to repent and come to the Lord. You don't need to, to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and come to the end of yourself and surrender your life to him. You can wait. You can do it another time. You know, and, and that's a huge deception that the enemy loves to, to bring. And remember this, that tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. But as we are in verse 10 now, I have also spoken by the prophet and have multiplied visions. I have given symbols to the witness of the prophets. Through Gilead has idols, surely they are vanity. Though they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal, indeed their altar shall be heaps in the furrows of the field. And so he had sent the prophets like Hosea here and the other prophets that we're going to be reading about as we continue through the minor prophets. And the major prophets we saw as they gave illustrations. Remember um, that it was Isaiah that walked in his undergarment for three years, Jeremiah breaking pots there to the leaders overlooking the valley of Gehenna, said this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Ezekiel laid on his side for how many, all those days, 390 days, something like that. But they had rejected the Lord in the message of the prophets and turned to idols, and the Assyrians would destroy those places 
of worship. And as we finish chapter 12, Jacob fled to the country of Syria. Israel served for a spouse, and for a wife he tended sheep. Speaking again, how Jacob went to Pandanaran, over there 400 miles from, from Israel, over in what is Syria, and served 14 years, uh, tending, working for his uncle Laban. Seven years for Leah, he was deceived. And, and Laban said, oh, was it, you know, Rachel that you wanted? Uh, you know, we have a custom. I forgot to tell you that you have to marry the, the oldest daughter first. And then he worked another seven years for Rachel. So that's what the reference is for uh, verse 12. By the prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt and by a prophet, he was preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore, his Lord will leave uh, the guilt of his bloodshed upon him and return his reproach uh, upon him. So as we read this, again, um, that they had turned uh, Bethel into a place of idol worship. He had brought them into the land from Egypt. And he's telling them, you've forgotten God's goodness. God recalls the past goodness. God would bring Jacob back after 20 years of serving labor. I brought you out of Egypt into the land. We never should forget where the Lord has brought us from. Out of sin and darkness, out of Egypt, he's brought us into freedom, forgiven uh, into truth and from the darkness into his marvelous light, as Peter writes in his epistle. Why would we want to go back to that, go back to Egypt? Why would we want to go back to, you know, the, the darkness and being deceived and worldliness and all that? Never forget about the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. A real key in our Christian lives is always to be thankful what the Lord has done. Lord, you have forgiven me. I'm no longer, you know, one of the world. I'm in the world, but not of the world. I don't have to walk in deception. I don't have to walk in the darkness. I don't have to be in bondage to Egypt. I don't have to be in bondage to sin. And thank you, Lord, for that. Help me, Lord, to live for you because you desired to bring me to that place. You know, the, the, he wanted them to go into, you know, the promised land uh, uh, of, you know, milk and honey. And he desires to bless us in our lives. It doesn't mean we won't have battles. They had battles when they went in the land, even when they were doing well spiritually. You know, but the Lord blessed them and protected them and helped them. And he desires to do that for us. But never forget where the Lord has brought us from, out of the world, into his eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. And to always be thankful. And so Israel had provoked the Lord with her sin. And judgment, verse 14, was going to come. And in chapter 13, when Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended through Baal worship, he died. So God had blessed Israel, but now they had turned to Baal. They had died spiritually. And, and as we read this, chapter here, it's almost like an obituary uh, of Ephraim. Ephraim, a name of Israel, uh, the ten northern tribes. Now they sin more and more and have made for themselves molded images. Uh, notice here in verse 2, they sin more and more. It, when anyone rejects the Lord or a nation that rejects the Lord, it just gets darker. It just gets darker and, and when they're involved in sin and pursuing sin, you're just going to keep doing that. And that's what was happening here. It was going from bad to worse. 
They just sin more and more and have made for themselves molding images, idols of their silver according to their skill, all of it work of craftsmen. And they say to them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. And verse 3, therefore they shall be like the morning cloud and like the early dew that passes away, like chaff blown off from a threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney here. So here they were paying homage to those idols, the craftsmen making these, these works of silver according to their skill. Uh, they had eyes but can't see. Isaiah says they have mouths but can't speak. They have ears but they can't hear. And here they were paying homage, worshiping those idols, kissing them. You know, I was, I was reading um, this summer uh, how the, that statue in Rome um, at the Vatican that uh, is a bronze statue of Peter. And over the centuries that people have come along and kissed the right toe of Peter on that bronze statue so many times it has happened that the big toe is worn out on his right foot. It's, it's worn out. And I think, wow, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd kiss a statue. Matter of fact, it, last year in Spain, that um, some of the statues of Mary and Jesus were being kissed by people, and they uh, contributed to you know COVID, you know, being um, spread because of that. But um, here, people get strange um, when they worship idols and statues and all of that, and that's what was happening. People can end up, you know, getting strange outside of Jesus and the things that they turn to to worship and to pay homage to, that really isn't going to help them. So because of their idol worship, they were going to disappear quickly like the you know, morning cloud and fog and dew is, is what is being said here. In verse 4, Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you know no God but me. You shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Note that in, in verse 4 here. Uh, it's similar to what Isaiah says. The Lord says, I am God and there's no other. There's no other Savior. Jesus, he is the Savior of the world, so he is God. And God is here called uh, Savior. Um, and we, we contribute that to the deity of Jesus Christ. And just want to point that out. There's only one Savior. There's only one Savior. And there's no other Savior besides Jesus. Um, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And man will try to suppress that and will try to say that there's other saviors or I can save myself. Jesus is the only one that can save us. And in verse 5, I knew you in the wilderness and in the land of great drought. When they had pasture, they were filled. They were filled with their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. So God sustained them 40 years in the wilderness. He blessed them by bringing them into a good land. But they became prideful and self-reliant. They forgot about God. Here's a real subtle danger that can happen to us in our Christian walk. God blesses you. He blesses your business. He blesses your family. Remember that the house of Israel was doing well externally. They were blessed. They were prosperous. They were powerful. Things outwardly looked really good. But inwardly, they were very weak and they were sick and 
They were poor. It's kind of like the church of Laodicea. Remember that Jesus, as he spoke to that church, they, they seemed like they really had it together. Um, and Jesus says to them, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have needed nothing, you do not know that you're rich, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Very sobering words that Jesus speaks to the church of Laodicea. Whenever that God blesses us, the subtle you know, danger is this, that we can forget to be thankful and we can forget that it's the Lord that has blessed us and we become self-reliant, we become prideful. Uh, we think it's because of me. We forget about God and we don't want to do that. Always giving thanks to the Lord and then, Lord, help me to be a good steward of what you have given to me. Lord, I want to be a good steward and I want to be generous. I, this is yours. Everything that we have belongs to him. And I don't want to just store it up for myself. I don't want to be like the rich you know, fool that built bigger barns and said, I'll take my ease. He, he wasn't rich towards God. But we don't want to forget about him and the blessings and then become prideful and self-reliant and think it's all because of me. And here, that's what happened to Ephraim or the house of Israel. And in verse 5, I knew in the wilderness, again, reading in the land of great drought. They had pasture. They were filled. They were filled with their heart, were exalted. Therefore, they forgot about me. Let's move on. Verse 7. So I will be to them like a lion, like a leopard by the road. I will lurk. I will meet them like a bear uh, deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their rib cage, and there I will devour them like a lion. The wild beasts shall tear them. So he wanted to be their king, but they wanted to be like the other nations. And God gave them, of course, Saul. At the end of the judges, the people come to Saul and say, we don't want your you know, sons you know, ruling over us to be a judge. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. And, and they came to Samuel, that is. And Samuel you know, went to the Lord, and the Lord said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And so Saul was the one that became the first king of Israel. And again, they, Israel, governed by God, the Lord wanted to be their king. But they wanted to be like other nations and have somebody ruling over them. And even though the Lord warned them that this is what's going to happen if you have a king, a man over you, even though David was a good king, Solomon, but we see uh, the disaster of, of you know, the kings that followed in many ways in the house of Israel particularly, we need to have the Lord ruling over us. He wants to rule over us. He wants to be our king. And he desires to lead our lives. Um, verse 9 that we read here. Oh, Israel, as we continue here, uh, the Lord wanting to be their help. Um, verse 7 and 8, this, 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 this vision of a leopard, of a bear with cubs, uh, a lion to devour them. It's, it's you know, the Lord just... Uh, given that, that image of what was going to happen to them by the Assyrians. And then in verse 9, O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king, and were any other, that you may save you in all your cities. And your judges of whom you said, Give me a king and princes. And I gave you a king in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. Again, speaking of Saul, that Saul, you will not be the one that will rule. And then Zedekiah in Judah was the one, the last king of Judah, that he was taken away as um, the Babylonians would come and bring judgment upon them. So the implication here, verse 9, I just want to reiterate, Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. Israel, you have destroyed yourself is the implication here. 
oftentimes when Christians even can feel the consequences and repercussions of sin and disobedience, that they'll blame God. Why did God allow this? Why did God allow this to happen? Because you are reaping the rotten fruit of what you have done, the consequences, repercussions of sin. We're forgiven, but those repercussions and consequences happen. God will, you know, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the Spirit, of the Spirit you'll reap to everlasting life. If you sow into the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. That is in Galatians. That is a spiritual truth for every single one of us that we need to remember. None of us are exempt from that. And so as we continue in verse 12, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is stored up. The sorrows of a woman in childbirth shall come upon him, for he is an unwise son, for he should not stay long where children are born. And so God had not overlooked Israel's guilt, their sin. Their sin was stored up, uh, um, kept on record. Uh, God had extended a period of grace to respond to Ephraim, but they didn't respond. They didn't turn to him. And their disobedience was compared to a child that won't come in child labor um, despite the efforts of the mother or that judgment would come like labor pains upon a nation. And, of course, we saw that terminology in the Olivet Discourse last Sunday. Paul uses it in the New Testament that, that the day of the Lord is like labor pains that come upon. And we talked about that quite extensively. And then verse 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Now in verse 14, the Septuagint, O death, where is your sting? Um, And it might be translated that here in Hosea chapter 13 in that way. But Paul borrows that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Jesus rose from the grave, then we have the promise of the resurrection and we can say, O death, where is thy sting? Where is thy sting, O death? And so probably speaking how death would come from, uh, to them from the judgment, but also speaking of God's ability to redeem them. And God has redeemed us. And as he has redeemed us, O where is thy death, O sting? We have victory, don't we? Oh, grave, I'll be your destruction. We have victory over the grave. In verse 15, through though he is fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, and then his spring shall come dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. And he shall plunder the treasury of every desirable prize. Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall, fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces and their women with child ripped open. So really, um, just a terrible, the Assyrians were terrible, torturing people, what they did to people. And, and so the book doesn't end that way. Judgment is going to come to those who reject, you know, the Lord, their continued disobedience. They're going to go into captivity. They're going to experience the, the repercussions of judgment. But now God begins to talk about restoration here. And to remember that God didn't want them. He, he continues to speak of his love for them. A brokenhearted father. As we read the last chapter of Hosea, chapter 14, O Israel, return to 
the Lord your God. Please come back, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Or it might be translated sacrifices of, or the fruit of our lips, as, as in other words, instead of sacrifices. So, you know, um, the reason that they fell, they stumbled, was because of sin. And God is calling them to return. And, and, and listen, you can call out and say, take away iniquity. Receive us graciously. You know, offer uh, the fruit of our lips. In the New Testament, Paul says, offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, as he borrows from, again, Hosea here. And anyone who is, you know, in their sin, that Jesus has redeemed us, and the invitation is to come, call out to me, because he died for your sins. He rose again from the grave, and we are saved by faith. We are saved by grace through faith, the unmerited favor of God. And he wants to receive us, to forgive us. That's the message that we are to give to others. And then Assyria will not save us, nor will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. For in you the fatherless finds mercy. The Lord is the one that saves us. Not Assyria, not riding on horses to be your strength. He would say the same thing concerning, you know, you going after Egypt and the fast Arabian horses and Pharaoh's wisdom is not going to help you. I'm the one that's going to help you. He's our salvation. He is our savior. We find grace and mercy through the cross of Jesus Christ. In verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. I like that. I'll bring healing. I will love them freely. It reminds me of, of the parable of the prodigal, that the father received the son that came back, loved him freely, and put a new robe on him and a new ring and killed the fatted calf because my son has returned. I'll heal your backsliding. He's the one that leaves the 99 to go find the one that has wandered off. For my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under, verse 7, his shadow shall return. And they shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. And their scent shall be like the wind, uh, wine of Lebanon. So God will bless them again, be compassionate. Again, many believers talking the future restoration. They will be a blessing to others. God wants us to come home. And when you read about wine, it speaks of joy, of blessing uh, here. The scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. And Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. I'm like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. There will be that time in the national restoration, uh, as we talked about, when Jesus comes back. No more idol worship, no more disobedience, that the Lord will be their God. And who is wise, and let him understand these things. Who is prudent, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. Have that underlined. Always remember this, that the ways of the Lord is right. It is right, and it is true. And who's prudent? Let him know them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Anyone who lives for the world and goes after the world 
pursues the things of the world are going to stumble. You're going to stumble. But the way to be established is to know his word and to walk in his ways. So that's the book of Hosea. Next week we'll be in the book of Joel, three chapters, and we'll take probably a couple weeks to look at Joel. But Father, we thank you for Hosea and the message and just his heart that is expressed, expressing the heart of the Father towards anyone who, who you know, here in this case, a nation that, um, that he had brought out of Egypt and done so much for, and yet they had forgot him and, and turned after other lovers, idols, and were involved in sin. And Lord, we see your heart when we as that belong to you, you've brought us out of Egypt, out of the world, when we go after other things rather than, than you being preeminent in our lives, being the priority, looking to you to establish our ways and, and Lord, to walk in your ways, which are right that we just read. And Lord, your heart breaks anyone who rejects you. And Lord, we know that Jesus went to the cross. He is the Savior of the world. There is none other. And so I pray that we would give that message of salvation and hope to others. And that as we see others who don't have the Lord, that our hearts would be quickened and, and stirred. And, and Lord, that um, we would have compassion. We know that sin will be judged. The good news for us as Christians is Jesus took that judgment on the cross. But those who have rejected him, that judgment will come to them. So, Lord, I pray that um, we would just, even as Jesus wept over a city, even as God's heart is that none should perish but all come to repentance, to the knowledge of the truth, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that, Lord, that we would have that desire as well. So I pray that you would just continue to help us be thankful for what you have done, how you have blessed us, have a desire to trust you in every way. And Lord, even in the brokenness, even in the, the challenges, when we're wrestling, and maybe somebody here listening tonight, you're wrestling with the Lord about some things, that he desires to do that work and desires to bring all of us to that place of being governed by you, Lord. In every way, we can trust you because you are good and wonderful. And you love us freely as we have read. So I thank you for tonight's study. Pray bless everyone here. That We look forward to meeting on Sunday once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.